know from talking with you in the past that I feel like you guys work on some pretty crazy projects, like taking down highway overpasses and stuff like that. Am I thinking about that correctly? We do. We do. We actually have a crew out in Arkansas right now updating a dam. The lock and gates on these dams needed to be updated. Wow. That's not a lot of room for error in that kind of thing, right? No, not at all. Hello and welcome to Make It, Move It, Sell It. On this podcast, I talk with company leaders about how they're modernizing the business of making, moving, and selling products, and of course, having fun along the way. I'm your host, Adam Honig, the CEO of Spiro.ai. We make amazing AI software for companies in the supply chain, but we're not talking about that today. Instead, today, we're talking to Anna Christensen, the marketing director for Ashton Sawing and Drilling, which is, you know, if you ask me, probably the best commercial concrete services company in the whole United States. That's what I think. Anna, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. And I definitely agree with your statement. I think we are the best in the country. Oh, yeah. I mean, I can't even think of another uh, company that comes close to what you guys are doing. But just for the listeners out there who might not be familiar uh, with Ashton, maybe you could just kind of give us a little bit of an overview of what you guys are up to. As you said, we work in concrete. We got our start over 20 years ago cutting concrete. So that includes anything from slab sawing, diesel sawing, core drilling, doing demolition. We do a lot of robotic demolition. So really, we can take it all down and cut it out. We also put concrete back. We're in the placement business as well. That's pouring foundations, putting up tilt wall, filling trenches. And also, we polish and coat concrete. So that's anywhere from epoxies to polishing and staining. Wow, that's a pretty wide range of things, but I'm really interested in the robotic demolition. What what can you tell us about that? Where, what have you demolished recently? A really a fun project I saw last summer, we actually took down a building down in the medical center in Houston. Um, it's a really eco-friendly, safe way to demolish a building when there's a lot of other buildings around where you can't swing the ball. You know, that image of, of taking a building down not really safe to do in cities anymore. So we can be on the top floor and we have robotic hammers that we can operate from really anywhere. We don't have to be close to them. And they just knock those buildings down floor by floor. Wow. I've always wondered how they do that. But when you said robotic demolition, I was kind of picturing like C-3PO walking into a building strapped with explosives. And as soon as he got in the middle of it, he went up. This sounds much more high tech than that. Yeah, those robotic cameras, they look really cool. They look almost as cool as CP3O, but um, they're operated by a specialist who's kind of hanging out in the wings. And so what happens is the building collapses one level at a time until it's Absolutely. I want to say that that building was about 13 stories. That's amazing. And can you reuse them or those robots or do they kind of get crushed in the process of knocking the building down? You can imagine they're they're pretty sturdy pieces of machinery. And we actually have At Ashton, we have one of the few guys who can operate on those. And so he's pretty much an expert in making sure they stay running and and tip-top shape. I I remember when I had the chance to visit with you in person, we saw a saw blade that would cut through concrete that was bigger than my six-foot partner, Justin. That was the highlight of our visit, seeing that tremendous blade. 76 inches is the, the largest one. Wow. And what do you do with those kind of blades? What do you guys cut down? Concrete. Concrete. So like overpasses, dams, anything like that? Yep. I mean, we can pretty much cut through anything. If it gets much larger than that, or if it's something like a column we need to cut through, we would use a wire saw. If we're cutting vertically, we'd use a wall saw. 
there's all kinds of different ways to cut concrete and the different size saw blades uh, go with that. Wow. Well, it's a, it's a really exciting business to think about. I mean, I'm sure it's less exciting when you see it every day. You're like, oh, we're knocking down another building. Ho-hum. As a marketing person, I don't get to see it every day. So I still find it very exciting when I get to hit a job site. Let's talk about that a little bit. So I know, you know, that if you, if you think about construction and many of the industries in the supply chain, it can be very male dominated. We were talking a little bit about what it's like to be a woman working in this industry. What is, what is that like? There are definitely a lot of times when you're the only girl on the job site, you're the only girl in the room. I think you definitely have to have a level of confidence and and sometimes a thick skin to be that girl in the room. But there's a lot of organizations and groups for women in construction. Um, We're definitely all working in any way that we can to make sure we recruit more women, um, especially when it comes to going to universities and getting women into those degree programs for construction. But I have to say, in in my three years now in the industry, it's great. I mean, the guys in the industry are all really nice as well. So, and I think they're they're happy to have us here, and we bring a new perspective to a lot of things as well. If you were counseling, you know, college graduates, what would you be telling young women college graduates about your industry and why they should join? Oh, the the opportunity is incredible. It really is. There's a ton of opportunity just for growth and for new perspectives. You know, I think construction is one of those industries that when you look at some of the innovations and the new technologies and building efficiencies into how you work, I think construction can be a little bit behind at times. And it's um, it's just a great place to come if you're a trailblazer and, and you like to work hard. And also that you, you like to see your impact. You literally are seeing things that you're building or changing you're literally changing the face of the planet. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I mean, I picture that it's got to be a growth industry with all the spending that everybody's going to be doing on infrastructure. I mean, it should be a, a good time to get in on the ground floor. Even during COVID, I mean, there's so we all could talk for hours about what those couple of years were like, but we were an essential industry. And so our world kept turning just like it always had. In a lot of ways, we kept working and we kept because it's one of those things that's needed all the time. It's almost, I'm not going to say recession proof, but it's definitely a place for opportunity, no matter what it seems. Yeah. Now, are you um, and your company experiencing any sort of supply issues? We've been talking with a lot of people who've been dealing with supply issues, right? Has this been impacting your business? Yes, it absolutely has. We rely on so many different products. I mean, we have to have concrete right? When we're pouring concrete, we need concrete. Um, I know our polishing and coatings team, they they use a ton of products that are... Some of those lead times are, are pretty serious. Rebar, I mean, it all has a much longer lead times than it used to. So we have to get creative. We have to have those strong partnerships with our clients just so we, we all kind of understand what we're up against together. It's super interesting. I was talking with you know a company that is a large fabric distributor. And they believe that the reason why they've succeeded in the past couple of years is because they've built up this warehouse, basically, of all the fabric that anybody could ever want. And that enabled them to take market share away from their competitors, basically. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, it's not only the supply issue, it's the, the rising cost. And so, like many construction companies, we get on these projects that are going to last six months to a year. By the time you get into month four and month eight, things are more expensive than they were when you started. So that's certainly a challenge as well. 
Yeah, no, I, I have the misfortune of needing to fix my deck off the side of my house. And I've been like just doing <laughs> okay. it pieces at a time kind of thing because I don't have time to do it all in one go. And I've noticed that the lumber prices, like they fluctuate wildly from week to week. It's got to be really hard to manage. Yeah. That is crazy. I know you definitely do not want to be replacing a deck or a fence or anything like that right now. Well, so tell me a little bit about some of the business initiatives that you guys are undertaking that that you feel like are, you know, t- making a big impact on the business. Sure, sure. Well, we just in the last year or so really started uh, pushing a strategy of not repositioning our company, but just bundling our services and that we've had these three divisions for so long. And it's like, hey, if we offer this together, if we kind of position ourselves as this one-stop subcontractor where you know, a lot of our clients have to work with multiple subcontractors on every project. So if we can be that one for you instead of three or four, that's really where we have found that we can differentiate ourselves in the market. We've been doing a lot of meetings and some lunch and learns and just a lot of marketing around the projects where we are all working together. Is it hard for the sales team to wrap their brain around that? Because if they're used to selling, you know, coding projects or something like that, they're suddenly having to sell other things too. Is that a challenge? Yes and no. They they were, are kind of working together. So behind the, the curtain, there'll be three sales guys on a project, but to the client, it's just the one. I see. Yeah. So they're they're pretty good. I mean, it's such a specialized industry that when you know polishing and coatings, you're not going to necessarily know the sawing and drilling side. So they do still have to work together behind the scenes. Gotcha. But they are working well because sometimes I've heard, I don't know this firsthand, but sometimes salespeople don't always get along with each other, but not not the case for you guys. I don't think so. <laughs> they may be keeping that for me, but it seems like it's going pretty well. And it's it's been a way just for us to differentiate ourselves and really build some of those partnerships with clients. I mean, I know that, you know, the challenge that a lot of companies are having today is in hiring and retaining staff, especially on the sales side. Has this been a a challenge for your business at all? I would say it's been more of a challenge to keep our field staff here and just, you know, it's one of those things where the industry is just so crazy. And just to, to keep some of those positions staffed, especially with the hours and and, you know, it's not the easiest work in the whole world, right? And then just keeping up, right? I mean, salaries are going up like crazy. And just making sure we can retain those positions has probably been the toughest. Is there anything that you're doing in particular that you feel like, oh, wow, this has started to work really well for us? Or is it just like really just staying in touch with the employees? There is such a strong focus on culture and such a strong focus on, like you said, staying in touch with the guys making sure they're happy and making sure they really understand. We've been looking at making sure everyone understands what the opportunities are. You know, like, yeah, yes, you're here today, but there's plenty of guys here who have really climbed that that corporate ladder and, and have these great positions as project managers or estimators now, even though they, they started in the field a few years ago. I know that Ashton is a family business started by Mr. Ashton. I'm trying to remember Mr. Spencer Ashton. And do do you feel like having that kind of familial approach to things helps with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the struggles, right? Because Ashton is growing so rapidly and the company has grown so rapidly in the last, you know, five to 10 years that it is, I think it's hard when you get into that day to day and everyone's so busy to really keep that as your focus. But I do definitely feel like that's that's an effort that's made here to keep things more personal and and on that that family level. 
Totally. Well, I, I know when we were talking earlier, you were saying that Mr. Ashton himself was involved in cutting concrete. So it kind of started at the business at the very, you know, initial part. And so he's got to have a lot of ways of connecting with the, the people in the field because of that experience. Absolutely. And he's, uh, he has been on job sites cutting concrete here and there, just when he's needed, even in the most, even in the last year. So I, I know the guys out there really appreciate that. And it's fun to have them out there. Cool. So speaking about being working in a family business, I know you've worked in non-family businesses before and now in a family business. How does it feel different to you? I feel like when you're in a smaller business, when you're in a family business and you can just walk two feet that way and you're talking to the CFO and two feet that way and you're talking to the CEO and the executive team is smaller and very close, we're really agile. And so we can make business decisions pretty quickly and we can, we can try things, I think, more so than there's not as much risk, right, to try something new as there would be if you were a much larger corporation and there was a ton of red tape and a lot of titles above you to have to go through and get approvals. So just like when we started Spiro, it's like, hey, like, let's try this out. And, you know, we had to go through a few phases to get it just right, but it wasn't the end of the world because we did, we were agile enough and small enough that we can make it work. And it's been a huge payoff for us. Yeah. So what, what I hear from a lot of people at family-owned businesses is that they're able to take a longer view of things, right? That it's not like there's a private equity fund that's breathing down everybody's neck trying to get results or external stockholders. The family knows that, you know, we're going to grow this business. We're going to make it successful. We need to take a path. And it sounds like that's what uh, the Ashton family kind of does. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, one of the reasons I was really attracted to working at Ashton is just that the level of opportunity that was there just for marketing and for sales and for starting a CRM and redoing the, you know, it was, it's fun. It's like, okay, we can come in and, and really do what, what I think will make an impact. And, you know, the Ashtons get to really work on what they think will make an impact, which is, it's fun. It's, it's a fun way to work. Totally. Well, let's talk about marketing, which I know is, is your thing more than the HR, the, some of the other topics maybe we were talking about. But what, you know, what's exciting in the world of marketing for you these days? This year, we've just kicked off email marketing. I mean, when I came in, uh, we were doing online marketing, but that was really it. Just being able to, to build the brand and build up the awareness. Construction is really fun because it's still very much a relationship handshake business. So we're doing a lot. I actually have half of my sales team out at a clay shoot today. They're at a clay shoot? Tell me what that is. I'm in New England. I don't know if we have clay shoots up here. They, they shoot clays. And so it's like a, like a sporting clays. Like a disc, like that somebody like fires off a gun. And right. I've seen that in the movies, I think. That's the fun thing about construction. So there's a lot of clay shoots. There's a lot of fishing tournaments. There's barbecue cook-offs. There's all of those fun things that we get to go to and just shake hands and, and meet. There's a lot of business still done face-to-face. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so how does marketing support that? Do you provide them with materials to give people or tell them the right people to talk to? Or? I'm out there with them, selling right along beside them, You know, making building those relationships, making those contacts. Yeah, we have all the marketing collateral, the tents, the tablecloths, all of the fun outdoor stuff. Gotcha. And from an email perspective, so I'm assuming that a lot of your email marketing is targeted to mobile because I'm just kind of picturing people getting emails on job sites and stuff like that. Am I thinking about that properly? It's really interesting. So we've been using MailChimp and the statistics are it's about 50-50 desktop and mobile 
you know, the way construction set up, the the project manager isn't always in the field. So we work with a project manager and then they have their superintendents in the field. And so yep. both will be our client. So we're really, it's, it's about a 50-50 split on mobile and desktop. Are you doing any SMS marketing as well? We are not. Yeah. Okay. It's very controversial these days. I can tell you that I get cold SMS pitches and I'm like, dude, like so inappropriate. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things that we've talked about it and we've, we've talked about it in a way of being that customer support. So we've been talking a lot lately on how do we improve our operations? Again, how do we differentiate ourselves and, and just make working with Ashton easier than the competition? Because we think that's, as a subcontractor, we think that could really be a leg up for us. Sure. And so we, we've talked about, you know, doing things like text messages to our customers when our operators are on the way or when we've finished a job and those sorts of things, but not quite marketing, not just yet. I know uh, a lot of people that I've been talking to have been saying things like they want to be like Amazon. They want to be always letting the customer know where things are, where stuff is in progress, or how to track the order or things like that. That's a very popular theme right now. So it sounds like a little bit in that vein is what I'm hearing. It definitely is. I mean, we've we've used the word Amazon and it's it's what everyone's used to. And it's almost, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's an expectation, but I think it will be at some point for every company to operate that way. The problem is, of course, that Amazon does such a good job with it. How could you possibly do as good a job as they do? It's so hard, you know? You know what's funny? I have a little insider tip. So we've just hired a new associate in our Dallas office. I was meeting her via phone last week, and she worked in an Amazon warehouse. You have to tell me what it's like. Is it the most amazing, most efficient, most high-tech thing ever? And she said, absolutely not. It's the complete opposite. So I don't know how they pull it off and make us all think that it's perfect, but maybe it's not, which which gives me more hope. <laughs> yeah, ex- I think that's the perfect takeaway from that. Yes, exactly. Like the, they, what they've done is they've done a great job of creating the perception. Everything else, well, you know, we'll get it figured out. So what I'm hearing for listeners is, you know, if you're feeling like, oh, we can never do that, you know, maybe your customers think that you're doing fine. That was absolutely my takeaway because I'm a huge Amazon fan and I, I will be probably forever. But it was it was really fun to hear that insider perspective from a warehouse. That no, it's pretty crazy here on fire back there. <laughs> now I've heard some stories. You know, speaking about that though, so so thinking about customer perception and that really being the gauge. Do you do any sort of formal customer surveying at this point? We do not, but we, it's definitely, I have a pretty strong background in market research. So it's something I've talked about since we've been here. And just like any company I've worked in, there's that fear, right? Yeah, like yeah. If we ask, they might tell us something we don't want to hear. But my, my comeback to that's always, it's, it's better to know than to have them not tell you and go work with someone oh, else. Oh, for sure. Right. Because if you know what the problem is, you have that opportunity to fix it. And a lot of times, that makes that partnership even stronger. It's definitely something that I know I've talked about and now Jed's talking about it. I'm sure it won't be long. Spencer will be talking about it and I, I can see it in our, our near future for sure. We use the uh, net promoter score approach, which is that thing that says, how likely are you to refer Spiro to a friend? So we we do that continually and it's really eye-opening, I think, to get that view of the customer. And it is scary, right? Because if somebody doesn't like something, it hurts, but that's the only way to know, right? Yeah, I I just started. I just had my first conversation last week with some of my sales guys about 
guys, we need to collect Google reviews. So I want to put it on your email signature, just the link there and make it super easy for our customer. (laughs) They're all like, no way, no way are we doing that? Because it's only the angry customers that are going to leave a review. No, I think, I think there might be some good reviews coming through. I mean, of course you can always just, you know, if you survey them yourself, you can always then reach out to the good ones that give you good survey responses and be like, oh, Mr. So-and-so, here's a nice little Google review you can write of us or something. Maybe you'd like prime the pump a little bit that way. Absolutely. And we, you know, we have a lot of happy customers, honestly. And sometimes in construction, things just don't go the way they're supposed to. And there's there's not a lot any of us can do about it. Sometimes. My my experience with construction, if, if things do go the way they were supposed to, you're super fortunate. I mean, there's just so many unknowns. I know. And can you imagine and cutting concrete and, and doing some of the things these guys do? It's, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, no, super crazy. This has been great. Such a great chance to speak with you and learn a little bit more about some of the crazy projects that you guys are working on to get your perspective on what it's like to be a woman in sort of a male dominated industry and then get some very practical tips about some of the marketing things that you guys are doing, which I think, you know, a lot of people can take advantage of. So this has been really, really super. So thank you for joining me. Oh, it's no problem. Thanks for having me. And as a reminder to our listeners, uh, you can find every episode of the Make It, Move It, Sell It podcast at Spiro.ai backslash podcast. Feel free to subscribe, maybe like the podcast or write us a nice review. Anna, don't you think people should definitely do that? Absolutely. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. And we look forward to speaking to you at the next episode. 